you know it? Asking people to believe in God or asking people to believe in an invisible God can be very, very strange or can be a very strange thing to ask people. We worship here this morning and God was not physically, visibly seen, was he? I didn't see God stood at the front. Did you? I know Phil might look like might, might look like he's been a heavenly vision to someone. But I can assure you the man at the front was not God. But I saw God in him. It can be very difficult to ask, to lead, to encourage someone to believe in God if they don't see him in you. The only way people can see this God is real and is visible is by looking at him inside of you. If you don't show Christ, then how do people see him? See, we put on the banner of the church we see because we see a church. Some people see a building. Some people just come to a church on a Sunday and say, this is the building because this is the church. Church is a building. But the Bible never talks about it as being a building. The Bible talks about the church as being a group of people who Christ dwells inside. So Christ is inside, therefore it can be visibly seen. It tells me in my Bible and your Bible that to, I can observe the fruits inside people's lives. That's how I know whether someone has Christ because I should be able to see Christ inside of them. Yes? But the world doesn't know what spiritual fruits are. They only know Fruit Loops. Nutters. Right? And it's amazing how the world can spot a Fruit Loop. But can they spot Christ in you? So unless they can see Christ in you, Christ can, is not visible until he's visible inside you. That's a very powerful thing, thing to, to think about, that if you can't take Christ to work with you, then people don't know he exists. Because they'll see him inside of you, or they should see him inside of you, well long before you start speaking or even get the opportunity to speak. They should be able to see him inside of you. You see, my Bible tells me in Acts 17, 26, from one man, Adam, he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that man would seek and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Why isn't he far from each one of us? Because he could be in the person at the side of you. Now, I don't know about you, but that takes a tremendous just naturally thinking, not for God it's not an issue, but for me right now, for you administrators out there, think of this. Arranging where everyone should live. Arranging the time zone that everyone should live. So that every connection can be made. So that every word can be received. You imagine the logistics of the billions of people that's ever stepped forth from one man, God created the nations. And then from those nations, God's created the countries and he's chosen the places where you should live. Now, when he spun that globe around, you know, I could have had Tahiti. I could have had the Caribbean. I could have had somewhere nice. And he gave me cold Manchester. Rainy Wet, sudden Manchester. He says, there's my boy. My boy will be in 1961 on the 13th of May. He'll be born in a house, not even in a hospital. He'll be born in Manchester and I'll use him. Now, he's done that with you. He's done that. Now, the place where you're born and the place where you live are two different places. Where you're born, he just needed an address to get you there. But where you live, he chooses. So quit moaning about where you are. 
Because he's chosen for you where you should live. Why? In the hope that you just might be able to reach out and touch him. And see him. Do you see that? Can you see that? The exact places. Not roundabout. Not maybe round somewhere in Manchester. The exact, the word it uses there is the exact place. God knows where you live. So that perhaps people will reach out for him. And though he's not far from each one of us. Why? Because God does not want to remain invisible. God wants to become visible. Visible in lives. In lives. Yes? So I can take, and you can take, that you were born in the right period of time. Yeah? Not 1861, not 1761, not 1561, but 1961 for me. For you. I can take it that I am born in the right period of time. I'm speaking the right language. I'm speaking the right language. Amen? I can take it that I'm living in the place where he's purposed me to be. Yeah? And I'm living out what he wants me to do. But I guess the next question is, to ask is, are you doing what he purposed you to do in the place he purposed you to do it with the people he purposed you to do it alongside. So let's, all, let's not get chuffy badges because we've, we've worked out that we're all born at the right time and in the right place. The issue now is, are you doing the right things in that place with the right people getting the right results? There's a lot of displaced people in our world. There's a lot of people looking for something that you've got. Do you know what it's called? A home. There's a lot of people, there are millions of refugees right now looking for what you've got. Do you know what that is? Stability. Do you know, I'm going to use this word in in a very positive sense. There's billions of people looking for what you've got. It's called sameness. Sameness gives uh, uh, gives us a sense of order. Yes? You might moan that my life's the same, but you know, you only have to travel somewhere and the first thing you look for is sameness. Where's me chippy? Where's me local kebab house? Where's me newspaper? And you expect a guy on the corner to have followed you across the world to give you your paper, your English breakfast, or your African breakfast, or whatever nationality you are. You want what you normally like wherever you go. But guess what? It doesn't work like that. And then we moan that there's millions of people coming in all around the world, right? There's migrants moving all around the world. That's so when you go on holiday, you can have what you want. If people didn't move around the world, finding their exact places where they should be, you can't have what you want when you go and visit their country. Just a thought. Next time you're complaining and a guy's selling an English paper, just remember, how the hell did you get here, fella? Same way you did on a plane. So in Genesis 18, God wants to make himself visible more and more to us. So in Genesis 18, verse 17, it said, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he promised him. If God wants to make himself visible, then God has to reveal what he knows. Come on, think about that. God wants to make himself visible to you and I, then he has to be willing to share what he knows. He says, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Now, what purpose would it have served God if he doesn't tell us his plans and his purposes? So great, chufty badge for God. He's sat on his big throne up there. I know everything, but I don't tell anybody, anyone, anything. That's called absolute knowledge 
absolute power, but God doesn't do that. He chooses to show his wisdom with the people of the earth. But this is what he does. He doesn't share his wisdom with the wise. He shares his wisdom with those people who look appear to this world as if they are not wise. He says, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher? You guys still don't know me and cannot see me, even with all that your knowledge. But I give it to a guy on the street who you think's nothing, but he can see what you can't see. Amen? God all the time wants to make himself visible. It's no good being an invisible God. It's not good for his credibility. And in that statement, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Because surely he'll become a great, powerful nation. Just imagine. Let me just say, shall I hide what I'm about to do from David Tilbrook? Let's put it in David's context. David will surely become a great, powerful nation. And the nations on all the earth will be blessed through David. I've chosen David so that he will be able to direct his children. His children. And his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for David what he has promised. Don't you think David deserves to know what he's promised? Don't you think David would like to know what God has prepared for him? I think I would like to know what God's got prepared for me. Don't keep it secret, Lord. Don't keep him visible. Don't go stealth on me. Make yourself Visible, so I can know, so I can lead. And in that statement, there's disclosure. I'm about to tell you what I know. Yeah? Behind that statement, there's a promise. Behind that statement, there is a purpose. Let me show you what, Abraham, what me and the Father and the Holy Ghost have predetermined for your life and what your life will look like. I'm going to choose the place. I'm going to choose the time. I'm going to choose the people. And through having you on the earth, all things are going to come through your life. Can you imagine when you were 16 years of age, God sat you down and said, you're going to have three children. They're going to be called Abraham, da-da-da, da-da-da. They're going to do this, this, and this. How joyful you would have been at knowing that you were going to have these children. Well, that's called a plan. And in behind that statement, there is generational legacy and continuity. How many of you know that? Generational legacy and continuity. Why? Because he's going to show David how to lead David's sons and then their sons. Amen? So, God has gone to all this hassle to organize all this just for you. It's not hassle for him, really. It's just one thought. Straight away, and then all of a sudden, all the permutations, the quantum physics are all sorted out. Yeah? All the permutations are there, but there's only one thing that determines it all. Choice. Choice. So, his word has foretold it. His word foretold what would happen to Abraham. His word is still foretelling What will take place with your life if you put it in his hands? That's how he makes himself visible. His spirit, how do I know that God has put me on this planet at this time, 1961, in this time? How do I know that? Do you know how I know? Because his spirit witnesses with me on the inside. I don't feel like I don't belong. I don't feel like I'm in the wrong time. I don't feel like I'm with the wrong people. I just know that I know why I'm born. I know where I'm supposed to be. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. Or I'm getting to know that more and more. I haven't seen the full picture yet. But I learned to trust. I just, there's something that's been witnessed on the inside of me. I'm not just coming to a building with freaky people. You see, when you first come to a church, you think, he looks a nutter. She's definitely a nutter. Them, don't touch them with a barge pole. Have you heard her singing over there? Have you heard him singing over there? Have you heard them singing? Everyone looks a nutter. Well, let me get the cat out of the bag. We are all nutters. We're all nutters. There's no, there's, no, there's no sane people here. We're mad for Christ. 
Uh, some of you are just mad, but at least I'm mad for Christ. There has to be a witness on the inside. Knowing that this is where I'm supposed to be. Or I'll keep moving. You know when people don't have that witness, you know why? They keep moving from pillar to post. Church to church. Person, relationship to relationship. Boyfriend to, boy, uh, to girlfriend. Girlfriend to boyfriend. Whatever it is. There is no peace in the life. There is no witness in the life. So God is always invisible to those people. It's almost like, God, will you stand still so I can follow you? He keeps on speaking. How I know where I am, where I'm supposed to be, and where, how you should know where you're supposed to be, is that he speaks to me about this consistently. So not only have I got a witness, he speaks to me about it. He confirms my footsteps. He tells me not this way, Tony. And it's not long, if I make a decision and I haven't had the witness, it's not long before I don't feel the witness. And once I don't feel the witness, I ask a different question. Is this where I'm supposed to be? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And if that peace doesn't come back, guess what? Okay, Lord, I'm not going to move until you speak to me clearer. Okay, when I come back, I get peace again. I don't move unless I get peace and witness. Yes? Now, it's amazing that when you want to do something, have you noticed, you can train your mind to tell you, or am I the only one? I can tell my mind, this is the will of the Lord. Because my emotions right now want this to happen. Are we all in that? Of course we do. And it's called self-psychoanalysis, or just psycho. We tell ourselves, this is the will of the Lord. But after a period of time, the peace does not follow us. There's pleasure in it for a while, and God allows you to go down that way. And after a while, the peace begins to subside, and the wheels begin to fall off, which causes you then to ask a different question. Come on. Or am I the only one? God wants to remain visible in our lives at all times. God doesn't, you know, there's nothing worse than a plane coming into land and all of a sudden it goes off radar. Can you imagine how serious that would be to air traffic control? Where the hell have they gone? Can you imagine how serious that would be to the pilot thinking, where's the airport? It was there just a minute ago. No, God wants us in range at all times. God never, ever goes off radar. Hello? You, through your choices, put God off your radar. But God's never off the radar. He's never far away from us. So it seems like I've fallen in love with a God, and hopefully you've fallen in love with a God who just can't keep his mouth shut. I've fallen in love with a God who just can't keep a secret. The moment I fall, he falls in love with me, which he fell in love with me a long time before I fell in love with him, the moment I fall in love with him, he can't help but, but speak to me his plans and his purpose. Why? Because, Tony, you've been so invisible for so long, I want to make myself visible to you that you never lose sight of where I am. Yeah? God doesn't want to, us to lose sight of his visibility. God wants to be in our midst at all times. As a people, can you see that, church? At all times. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it appears like he's not there, but he's there. You've just got to know how he appears. He appears as a rod. He appears as a staff. You've just got to know how he appears in those places you're there. You have to know this. Because God never wants you, he can say he never wants to go off the radar. So he keeps speaking. And in Isaiah 49, this is what I want you to see this morning. In Isaiah 49, God was speaking to Isaiah. God was speaking to Isaiah about Israel. I'm speaking to you about God because God's speaking to me about you. Okay? As a shepherd this morning, I'm hearing what the good shepherd's saying about the sheep. What God wants to remain visible in our midst at all point. Keep that as the central focus. Yes? So he was speaking to Israel 
And Isaiah, halfway through the conversation, begins to identify with what God is saying and then puts himself in the context. Okay? You see that? Well, you will do in a minute. And he twins himself with Israel, past tense. But in this present tense, meaning today, God is speaking to us as the people of the Dream Center, and he wants to identify where you're at so you can identify and be where he is at. Why? Because he's the visible one. Yes? So Isaiah 49, verse 1, he said, listen to me. That's always a good place to start. He's trying to get our attention back. Listen to me, you islands. Well, we live in an island called Britain. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me from my birth. He has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me, and he made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant. And the word bracket said, Israel, I put, you, put the dream center. And everyone's saying the dream center, that's everyone in the dream center. Yeah? I will display my splendor. His meaning, his divine purpose for her was, to be, was that he wanted to display his splendor through her. God wants to display his divine splendor through Israel. God wants to display his divine splendor through you and through us as the Dream Center. Okay? That was his purpose. But I said, have you noticed there's always a different response? When God speaks... There's always, well, Lord, you don't know my circumstance. Well, Lord, if only you knew. Pardon me, I'm God. I know all things. It's amazing how many times when we pray, we feel we have to give God the latest update on the news. And we explain to him the situation. He says, I know the situation. I'm God, remember? I was there before. I was there in the middle. And I'm there at the end. I've seen the beginning from the end. But God, I just feel I need to update you. No, you don't. I will display my splendor. But I said, that's the, this is the prophet now speaking, I have labored to no purpose. Now, I'm picking up on this because I know on last Wednesday you didn't get it. I have labored to no purpose. I've spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with my God. Right. Let me give you the understanding. Isaiah was the same prophet that God told to go and preach to the nation Israel, amen, whose hearts were calloused, whose ears were dull, okay? He was told to keep on preaching to them because they, and they will not listen. Can you imagine? Keep talking to a people who will not listen. Oh, that sounds like the Dream Center. Right, okay. A people who refuse to turn away from their opinions, principles, and practices. This is what the ministry Isaiah had to Israel. Okay? How long, he asked, until their houses are deserted and everyone utterly forsakes the Lord until the holy seed becomes a stump in the ground and a new generation begins to emerge. In other words, you've got a ministry of cleansing the deck. Now, cut the guy some slack when he feels like he's labored for no purpose. Cut the guy some slack. I think if you had a ministry like that, you would feel, God, I never see any fruit from anything I do. How many of you feel like that? Of course you do. Of course you do. I do this, I've done that, I've done this, I've done that. And where was you, Lord, when I needed you? Where was you when I was speaking to you? Did you speak to a nation that would, whose hearts were, were hard, whose ears were dull, whose houses were deserted? Whose, you know, can you imagine if I preached to this church and you all left one by one, right? And there was just a stump left in the house and that was my mission, to clear you all out. I have been accused of that in times gone by, but that's not my mission, to clear the house out. But guess what? Some pastors do that. They clear the house out one by one until there's a stump left in the ground. And God has to start again 
with a whole bunch. Sometimes they never get started again. The house just is gone. And Isaiah says, I'll do that if that's what you call me to do. But I need to see you. I need, to have, I need to have you visible so I can see that when they're causing me stress and grief and they're not listening, I need to know that it's still you. And it's not me. Because they're going to really give me some grief and I'm going to have some deep, deep inward stress. I'm going to have some, such a low self-esteem because nobody's going to tell me they love me, value me, want me. But guess what, Isaiah? Bang on, son, keep doing it. You haven't been given that kind of mission. Neither have I. But this guy did. So cut the guy slack when he says, I've labored for no purpose. Actually, it was a purpose. Because that's what God told him to do. Now, your brain, yes, you've got one. I've got one. Thank God for that. Your brain becomes what it focuses on. Yeah? Your body and soul, listen, your body and soul were given to carry out the will of your spirit. That's good. You write that down. That's good. That's free. Your body and your soul was given so it could carry out the will of the spirit. A body I have prepared. So you need a body so that the spirit can have a life. It's the spirit inside of you that makes Christ visible. Without Christ in your spirit, Christ never comes visible in your mind. Your mind will always think of rational thoughts, irrational thoughts, and you will get rid of Christ that's in your mind. Why? Because your mind cannot accept this is an irrational being. There is no logic How can this Christ be real when I cannot see him? How can this God be living inside of me? Isn't that the questions that Nicodemus asked? But without your spirit, which is the seed of Christ, being given to you through the Holy Spirit, when you confessed, he gave you a spirit, right? Now that spirit is not there to serve the body and soul. soul. The body and the soul is there to serve the will of the spirit. And when the will of the Spirit is fulfilled, you always make Christ visible. Without Christ, without that Spirit being activated on the inside, you will never see what God's doing. Hello? That's good. That was worth the entrance fee. So let me give you something. Show you how your your crazy brain works. Because we've all got one. Tomorrow morning, this is a role play. This is not real. But it is real in one sense. Tomorrow morning, you get a call from the doctors. It's telling you that the results of your blood test are in. And they're asking you to phone them soon as possible. Now, can you, can you in your mind, can you imagine that now? You're out, you get a phone call. The doctor's just rang you, or the doctor's office has just told you the reports of your blood test are in, and you need to ring us as soon as possible is the word. This is called information. This is called information. Where does information live? Upstairs. If you've got an upstairs, it's called your brain. This is information. It's food for the brain. Okay? And it begins a cycle of thinking when you feed it. Yes? So, from information, stage two develops in your mind that is called thoughts. Information came in, which now creates thoughts. Information came in, now creates thoughts. What then? Well, thoughts now are beginning to swirl in your mind and in your head. Option one is fear. Why? They said, as soon as possible. That's what the message said to me. Soon as possible. Fear. Yeah? Does this mean bad news for me? Yeah? Will I have, and it goes on, down to the planning of the funeral and the flowers? 
It started as information, created a thought, then created a scenario, and now you're at the funeral. True? Option two is, I'll deny it. Okay? This is just a routine call. No panic here. No panic, I hope. No panic here. No cause for alarm. I'll call when I have time. Option three develops. So you had fear. You've had um, denial. Option three now comes up. It's called trust. Well, I will not be phased by any doctor's report. That's another option. So fear came in. Denial was the second option. And now third option is I'll trust. I'll trust God. Why? Because I can see this God. I walk with this God. He's not going to let anything happen to me that he's not capable of dealing with. Right? So things will happen to me because good things happen to bad people and bad people and bad things happen to good people. It's just called the law of life. Yes? Eating and drinking and not uh, exercising will create its own consequences. Don't say, I know I just, I, I'm just walking in under the, the will of God. No, no, no. Sort yourself out. That's not what it means to be trust. That's called lack of responsibility. Okay? So, I have faith. It'll be good news. I'm going, I'm not going to be moved by the doctor's report. And after that thought has come into your mind, so first of all, it came as information, then thoughts. Thoughts give you three choices. You're going to go to the next level, which is choice. What am I going to do? You choose an option. I'm either going to fear, deny, or I'm going to trust. Do you not? Yeah? If you choose fear, your brain then begins to respond in that manner. Whatever your choice you make, your brain then will follow. Are you getting this? Your brain will follow. Of course it will. I'm sick. Now you live into the thought. You move into the thought more and more and more. And it becomes part of you. We've all, we've all fallen for this. We've all fallen for this. Stage four is from a th- information, a thought, a choice. Four, level four is you at a consequence. You hit a consequence. You suddenly feel sick and right, you're sure dying. Why? Because you've allowed your thoughts to take you to convince you you're sick, you're dying. I've been there. You can't stop the madness in your mind. And now you create a new action with a new consequence. Or we can go to stage five. You ready? Information, thoughts, choice, consequence. We can create a new action. We can create a new action. What's that new action? I'm going to phone the doctor. Yes, hello? And then the the receptionist says, yes, your results came in this morning and they were fine. You put the phone down, you think, don't I feel a right plonker? Because I allowed myself to get caught up in the whirlwind of information. One piece of information set this cycle of despondency, fear, phobia, all kinds of stuff. One piece of information. Hello? You all out there? You still living? So what did we learn from that? What you see, you interpret. And what you interpret then becomes your belief. What you see and interpret becomes your belief. Your brain became what it focused on. Your brain became what it focused on. But your body and your soul was given to serve the will of the spirit. So which one's going to rule? Your body and your soul or your spirit? So when God gives us information, there is this dichotomy going on inside of us. What does this mean? I'm not going to interpret this. I've labored for nothing, so therefore, what's the point? That's not what he was saying. 
when you read the context of Isaiah, you can understand why he complained about that. But that's not your context. So God begins to speak to us so he can keep himself visible to us at all times so that we can understand him and his ways clearer. Hello? We don't get lost in our circumstance. We get lost in God. So let me give you that same scenario again under a different brief. Information can lead to revelation. Okay? God begins to arrest and speak to you, telling you that he has plans to give you hope and a future. And you should seek him and he'll reveal these plans to you. That was called information. The more you dwelt on it, you think, that's revelation. What God's got a plan for me. The very first time I, I got, well, should, when I got baptized here in this pool, the very first time someone had ever given me a scripture, read a scripture to me. It's the first time in my whole life someone had ever given me a scripture. And I didn't know what it was. So a guy comes to the front of the church and he reads a Bible, a verse out the Bible. And I'm thinking, what do I do with that? But as he spoke it, it became life to me. At that time, at that particular circumstance in my life, just as I was about to go through these waters under this floor, he spoke this word from Jeremiah, I have plans to prosper. Hope. If you seek me, you'll find me. Something, it hit me in a way that I never thought someone just reading a verse of the Bible would ever achieve. And it became, it became more than information. It became a revelation. Yes? So, that information, revelation, then created thoughts. These thoughts begin to excite me. Or they began to excite me, I should say. Leaving me with a series of options. Option one, do I become a pessimist and do nothing? What do you mean? After all, I, uh, after all um, do I really want my hopes to be dashed? It's question one. So a guy reads me a scripture, God's got plans for me, he's got a hope for me, da-da-da, da-da-da. Do I really want to be disappointed? Option one. Option two is, why not? Why not become a pessimist? Why not become an optimist, should say? Not a pessimist, an optimist. <laughs> In that, at least if I believe something, it'll move me away from being negative. By the way, if you're ever going to borrow money, borrow money <laughs> from a pessimist. He never expects to get it back anyway. So, do want my, dash, my hopes dashed? No, I, I'm going to become optimistic. At least I can move away from this negativity and I can at least start believing in something. Option three is by trusting God, I get excited. And, I, and, and excitement begins to develop within me to the point that, that a new beginning begins to begin for me. I get a new beginning out of it. And I get a positive mental attitude. I get excited about this new beginning. I see things that I never saw before. Yeah? I get an attitude towards God. I get an a new attitude towards life. And I get an attitude towards people. Something when I was a pessimist I never had. So stage three, choice. Now, I have to, now I've chosen to become an optimist. It has taken the lid off my life. Yeah? And I'm now out the box and out of my comfort zone. Scary. The choice has left me feeling brave as I'm ready to jump right over the edge believing that God will catch me if I do it. I'm feeling optimistic. Stage four, it's going to lead to a consequence. I can actually do those things God is asking me. I never thought I could before when I was negative, but now I can see I actually do have the ability to do what God is asking me. Woo! I was born for this. Now that's a revelation for you to see that what you're doing, you were born for. Yeah? I can actually see those plans and those purposes now, what he mentioned to me, I can actually see him and I'm actually walking in them. 
That's the consequence of this thought. Final stage. I keep creating new actions so God can keep on speaking to me and keep on leading me into the path. Now, what do you want to be, guys? Do you want to be the optimist or the pessimist? Whenever God speaks to you, he finds both living inside of you. Depending what he's speaking will determine whether the optimist is inside of you or the pessimist. Depending what day it is, what you've had sweet drink the other night before, how you're feeling. On any given day, God can find the optimist or the pessimist inside of you. True? Of course he can. Ask your wife, she'll tell you. So what do we learn from this? What you see and interpret is what you believe and think on. True? Your brain became what it focused on. Your body and soul were given to serve your spirit. Hello? In the second scenario, your spirit began to speak more and more and more. In the first scenario... Your body, your soul was speaking. Can you see that? Your soul spoke, came a thought, fear, phobias, all that kind of stuff. That was your soul. But in the second option, your spirit began to speak more and more. And guess what? Horizons opened up. That's not a holiday company, by the way. So, when, when you see that banner over there, where Irene is, speak tenderly to the tree... That came with a context. God was speaking to us about things that had gone on in this region prior to us receiving that information. The banner hanging on the wall speaks and it reminds us of our region, Thameside. And you could say Manchester in a wider context. There was particular negative thinking that had arisen in our region. We know this. How do we know this? Because God showed it us by the Spirit. Hello? God showed us this by the Spirit. That's called prophecy. And the government, the agencies, whichever, whatever agencies they were, they had put finance resources behind help, trying to help young people. And I can't put a definite age on what that young people means, but helping young people to the point that they felt like Isaiah. They had labored, put good resources in for nothing. They saw no result for their hard work. How many of you know, hard work can make you despondent if you don't see the fruit from it. So they put those resources in. They couldn't see the fruit they really wanted. So that caused them then to become, uh, become contentious inside their own hearts and minds. And they began to speak negative over a region. This generation will never, ever become good. Doesn't matter how much you spend on them. Doesn't matter how much you resource. Doesn't matter how much you try and put work and time and effort into them. They'll never produce anything. Well, how many of you know when you say something like that becomes a curse? So you see, right across Thameside, you see crime. You see people living with no hope. You see despondency. You see all kinds of things emerging in a young generation. They're fatherless, many of them. They've got crazy, mixed-up, mongrel families. There's no one there telling them good things. And they've got this barrage. If they get it from home, then they've got it in the street. You're no good. You'll amount to nothing. So this is in our atmosphere. And we felt God speak to us about this. But because we've got option two, we're not in the soul. We're in the spirit. We can take what God says without it affecting us. And we can begin to speak out and readdress and re-engineer the landscape through our words. Now, when we say our words, we're not just talking about prayer. We're talking about you making Christ visible inside your workplace, inside your family. Christ isn't visible just because you pray. Christ is visible when I can see him in you. This is how you speak to this generation. We don't only just speak in prayer. We speak in practice. Can you see this? So, the tree is very, very significant for us. Isaiah had a stump. 
we've got a tree. We've got a tree that is so been badly beaten by words and accusations and curses that God tells us to speak tenderly to the tree. Why? Because tender spirit-driven words will restore over time and patience, will restore the tree back to life and a generation will begin to believe that they're not worthless. Well, that can't happen just by praying. That's because you are working by your brain. God tells the prophet to speak over the atmosphere, and by him speaking over the atmosphere, things begin to change. That's why it's a supernatural dimension, not a natural dimension. See, when you're in the natural, man cannot fathom the things of God because they're natural to him. But to the spirit man who's got the spirit on inside, he can see those things because he sees the reality and the evidence of those things in his life or her life, their life. So in Isaiah 49, verse 5, let's just pick it up there. Now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord. And may God, my God has seen, sorry, my God has been my strength. This is the same guy who says, I've labored for nothing. God has been my strength. He says, is this dream center a too small of a thing for you to be my servant? to restore the tribes of Jacob or Tameside and bring back those in Tameside I have kept because God has kept a remnant inside Tameside. I, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So God had set, God, even though the nation was callous, God out of that generational Legacy, God was preserving a whole group of people. So that's why he says to Abraham in the beginning, I'll show you how to lead your children and your children's children. Because David's children may have choices and they may abandon the path at some point, but it doesn't mean to say his children's children have to. Hello? I'm not the same as my father. I'm not traveling the same path as my father. I can change, you can change, we can change. Yeah? Now, when God explains his heart like, like this, he needs people. And he needs people who will act on his word. Hello? And who will act on his word irrespective of what they see and what they feel and what they sense and what they're experiencing. God is saying, church, I'm going to take two from here, I'm going to take one from there. You can't see it, it's going to cause a problem. Because God can't work with you if you can't see it. Hello? God needs people and he needs people who will act on his word, not act on what they see. Hello? We have great needs in this stream center. And, and if God doesn't start bringing two from here and one from over there, and you don't start going to the two over there and the one over there, guess what? We're going to have some issues because the church will not grow. The kingdom will not expand. So God is, needs a people, and he needs a people who will act on what he's saying. When you act on what he's saying, you begin to see. You do not see before you act. That's not the way the things of the Spirit are. Obedience comes first, then you get understanding. See, this is where the natural mind fights with the things of God. I can't see it. Well, if I can't see it, I can't do it. There's no faith there, is there? That's just the cerebral mind trying to work things out. You'll never work God out in your mind. God doesn't live in your mind. God lives in your spirit. I don't know what lives in your mind. You don't know what lives in your mind half of the time. So Daniel chapter 2 verse 23. We're coming to a close. I thank and praise you, O God, my Father, that you have given me wisdom and power and you have made known to me, so you've made it visible, what we asked of you, you have made it known to us the dream of the king. The dream of the king. So the king has a dream. This is he's talking about the natural king. The natural king in, in, in this context was King Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream in the middle of the night. He drank some wine, has this frightening dream. And none of, none of his, his magicians, his, all his wisest men in his kingdom could understand this dream. Have you ever had a dream like that? But you can't make the head and the tail of it. 
I have. So Daniel gets to, uh, the, Daniel gets to know about this, and Daniel has been given the gift of interpreting dreams. So this was key because Daniel's boys, Daniel was about to be killed. So the king gets, gets knowledge of this. There is a man, Your Honor, there is a man, Messiah, that he can interpret your dreams and stop you going crazy and killing every one of us. Thank God for Daniel because that king's a nutter. He's going to kill everyone because this dream is so plaguing his mind that if someone doesn't answer it, we're all gone. So that's when the unbelievers became thankful that there was a believer inside prison. So Daniel goes before the king, but before that, he'd been praying, God, you better show us what the king saw. Who knows what his king saw after a couple of bottles of wine? Who knows what he's had? And the Lord begins to show Daniel the exact dream that the king had had. Thank God for interpreting dreams. Now, Daniel didn't sit there and think, I wonder what he's been thinking. Daniel knows he can't work this out by his natural mind. So he has to rely on supernatural help. God, you need to show me what's inside the mind of the king because he's a nutter. And now the Lord says, I thank and praise you, O God, my father. After he's made the dream dream known to the king, this is him giving thanks to God. I thank and praise you, O God, my father. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. Lord, show us the, the dream of the king. You have made known to us the dream of the king. That elevated and accelerated Daniel so high up in the ranks, all because he acted on what he saw. Could it be possible that if we can act on what God's telling us, we can be accelerated? If we just act. If we just act. There's a revelation and understanding to be given to this house. And when this revelation comes, do you know what it does? It puts significance, it puts power, it puts hope, and it puts stature into its people. How many of you know that? When God spoke to us about changing the name of this church, we never had a meeting about, shall we do this? We never sat down as a leadership at that time and said, hey, I know, we've got a great idea. Let's change the name of the church. Did we ever have that meeting? Never once. And I'm sat in a meeting, and as clear as I've said this to you a thousand times, it's like this arrow came right across the room, and it hit me right in the chest, and I hear the word, dream center and I'm thinking and straight away I never even began to think about it in the natural my only response was it'll be so I knew it came with a sense of understanding yes call the church the dream center now I could go back and say dream center what kind of pansy names that because you know when God gives people name they're not exactly cool names are they half the time Think about it. When you read some of those names in the Bible, you're thinking, just call them Jimmy and John and Jane and Dave and Sue. Give easy names. God, what are you smoking calling some of these people this name? Why? Because when God names something, it has a significance, it has a nature and a character behind it. Yes? So here he says, when God told me to change the name of the church, I sit down with the guys. In my mind, it's a done deal. It's a done deal. It's going to happen. But I've got to let them come to the same process. If God speaks to me, he's got to speak to them. I can't say we're calling it. God spoke to me. You don't get a say in it. That's not called leadership. That's called dictatorship. So the same God who spoke to me spoke to them. But here's the point. We acted on it even though we had no understanding. Gone silent. Let that penny drop. We acted in faith before understanding came. And once we decided as a church, to, to, as, as a leadership, to, uh, we're going to call the church the Dream Center, it might get called a bed shop. It might be misinterpreted as a bed shop. It might get interpreted as a, as a new age outfit. It's better than Bethel Christian Center when no one's talking about us at all. So when we called it the Dream Center, more conversations arose as a result of calling it that, which opened up a new dialogue. So I'd rather someone say to me, are you a bed center? No, because it gives me an opportunity to explain what it actually is. And it creates open dialogue. Yeah? As I've had some great uh, witnessing with people just by that conversation alone. But once we decided that we will act on this word, 
God began to give us Daniel chapter 2, this scripture I've just read to you. This is the scripture that God gave to us. And he's saying, Tony, by naming this church the Dream Center, I am changing your character. Not my character, our character as a house. Why? Because I want to remain visible to every generation. What, they, what I did with the generation at Bethel, I'm now moving and I'm doing something different with this generation in the Dream Center. Can you see that? What I did at Bethel, even if you read the story of Bethel, he left Bethel eventually. And he moved on and carried on in his journey. And it was a crossing over. It was a significant moment when God was saying, I'm going to change your nature. Why? Now you are going to reveal the dream of the king. This is our purpose, to reveal the dream of the king in everything we do. That's why you need a church we see. You must keep on seeing the church. You must keep on seeing Christ in the church because the moment you don't see a church and you don't see what you're here for is the moment you then begin to function out of your own imagination. And you fill in the gaps and your opinions then become smarter, louder, sharper than anything else. And God wants to remind us, church, that I must remain visible at all times. But you must keep him visible. You must keep him visible. You must keep him visible. Why? By what he's spoken to us. What he's spoken to us must be kept on being spoken. Because the more you speak, have you noticed when you have a negative thought, when you keep it to yourself, nothing happens. But the moment you start sharing it with others, have you seen the damage it causes? Right, reverses when you do that positively. Look what happens. Is it such a small thing for you, Dream Center, to restore the tribes? Now, when God takes two from here and one from there, who's to say that God isn't taking the two and one from there so that when they get transitioned and transformed in here, they can go back and affect those tribes and clans? This is what's happening. This is why our discipleship school has got to become critical to us. Because that's our launching pad for sending people back into environments to transform them. This is the, tra- this is the training ground, but that is the transformation ground. Amen? And we must, we must see this at all times. So, Isaiah says in verse 8, This is what the Lord says, In the time of my favor I will answer you, and in the day of salvation I will help you, and I'll keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people, to restore the land. And reassign its desolate inheritance to say to the captives, come out and to those in darkness, be free. They will feel beside, so they will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor they will, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat upon them. He who has a companion, so he who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. So the next move is God must put, bring compassion on us. God must bring compassion on you. So as you start walking through the streets, as you start walking through your neighborhood, there's this overwhelming sense of compassion to do something. Rather than just ignoring what you see and accepting what you see, God must supernaturally bring his compassion on his people. And you know what happens when that happens? The peacemakers rise. The peacemakers rise. And we look for ways that we can bring peace across our region. Does this make sense? What are we learning? What we think on is what we believe. Our brain became what it focuses on, or it becomes what it focuses on. Your brain will become what it focuses on. But your spirit, so your soul, your body and soul was given to what? To fulfill the will of your spirit. So, are you going to choose to function out of your body and soul, or are you going to choose to function out of your spirit? Because you will not see God out of your soul. Because there's too many emotions running through your filter. Yes? You'll only see Christ clearly the more you're in the spirit. That's why when Jesus withdrew, he withdrew 
And he was in the spirit. He was in the spirit on the Lord's. Let's stand to our feet, if we will, please. There's a lot more I could say, but I won't. We are not going to be the Isaiah, or what should I say, we are not going to experience what Isaiah experienced because we've been told, we've been given a different mandate. He labored and purposed in his heart, even though despite he said, I've labored for nothing, that was his initial thought. But then he turned around and said, but what's due to me is in the Lord's hands anyway. But this, guess what? Did he continue on speaking? Yes. He continued speaking to a desolate people until the Lord fulfilled his purpose in his life. You and I must keep on doing what God has told us to do and we must keep on moving towards it because, listen, we only have one command. Do it. But the moment I start then allowing different thoughts to come into my mind, it will then undermine everything that the Lord has spoken to us about. Church, there's only one or two things will ever happen when you allow go into your when you go into your mind. You will either leave church and find someone who agrees with your mind, or you'll change your mind. At some point, there will be a contention in you that says, "I can't stay here anymore because all they do is beat the same drum." Well, I'd rather get commended for beating the same drum than for playing a tune that you can't dance to. I would rather plan to beat the same drum, knowing that it's heaven's beat, than try and play many tunes that you won't dance to. So you've got to ask yourself, Lord, we want you visible at all times, because when you're visible, I can track you. I can keep following you, Lord. But when I lose sight, guess what? When you lose sight, do you know what you need to do then? Faith keeps the radar in operation. So even though I can't see him, I can sense him. And I can trust. As long as I know what he's told me, I'll keep on walking. Because you know what? Eventually, he'll come back on the radar sooner or later. And that's when a shepherd's hand is out to you today. He knows some of you have been caught by the wayside, circumstances, disappointments, sadness, all kinds of things. And his arm's out to you today. He's coming back into your, into your radar and he's saying, church, come on, let's go again. Let's go again. You thought it was for nothing. It was always for something. Come on, close your eyes if you will. Just put your heart before the Lord. Based on what's just been said there, are you one of those guys that when you hear information, you let the maniac loose in your mind? Or are you one of those who say, I'm going to trust. Though I don't see, though I don't see, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to believe you, oh God, that you're going to bring to my life all that needs to be done. My spirit will serve. Sorry, my, my, my physical body and my soul will serve the will of the Lord, which is my spirit. It will. I determine from this day on my, my flesh and blood will not become the dictator, but my spirit, everything will move towards my spirit. It will serve the will of my spirit. Is that you? Come on, just begin to just... Go before the Lord right now and say, Lord, strengthen my hands, O God, to serve the will of my spirit. My flesh and blood will no longer contain me. Flesh and blood will no longer dictate to me. The will of my spirit must be stronger than the will of my flesh and blood. Some of you wonder why you've been given this body. Well, now you know. The body is given to fulfill the will and to serve the will of the spirit. Mighty God. Mighty God. Mighty God. <laughs> and just take a minute. It's I who chose you where you should live, the people you should live with. I've chosen you so that you can see my will, so that people will reach out and find me. That's why you're here. So people will reach out and find him through you. Through you. 
Through you, blind eyes will see. Through you, deaf ears will hear. A problem that Isaiah encountered every day. Eyes that could see, couldn't see. Ears that could hear, couldn't hear his message. But that's not going to be, it's not going to be here. When we take this mandate seriously, blind eyes will open. Deaf ears will open. When you and I take this message seriously, keep invisible. The invisible God is is the exact representation of the invisible God, but he's made visible. Father, we thank you for this word right now. Lock it into our hearts. Lock it into our spirit, oh God, right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, Lord, that you've ministered to us on different levels. Lock it into us, Father, right now through the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, amen. Amen. Amen.